Hollow Windows and Doors of Wisconsin's innovative hidden screen folds away when closed, keeping it clean while bringing in a ton more sun. Choose 0% financing for 72 months or a free upgrade to the hidden screen on our 250 series. Visit PellaWI.com today. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. This is another one of those days where my producer is happy that he's sitting behind a glass booth separated from me because, once again, yes, my head is willing, is ready to explode. I, if If you... Do not take some time to look at anything else today. I, I, I'm serious about this. If you follow me on Twitter, I've got a link to this, and my Twitter handle is at JeffWagner620. There is, they're, they're calling it a documentary. I, I don't know that that's necessarily what I would say, but there's this local guy who goes into the inner city of Milwaukee and makes arrangements. He schedules an interview with members of the Kia Boys. The Kia Boys are a, a loose-knit group of kids, predominantly in the inner city, who steal cars for fun. And it, it comes to Kia because they steal Kias and Hyundais. But they, they'll steal pretty much anything. The documentary is... And I, I use that in quotation marks. There was a, we were having a heated discussion in our content offices this morning between people as to whether this was a documentary and whether it was responsible to do this. Does it glorify the thefts? And I, I'll, I'll leave that conversation to other people to have. But it, it's 16 minutes. And if you don't watch anything else today, I encourage you to to take the time to watch this because... You watch this and you understand how out of control things are in the city of Milwaukee. And you understand how things like driver's ed aren't going to, well, I say this in as, as I'm putting this on in Twitter, they're not going to do a damn thing to solve the juvenile car theft crisis and the reckless driving um thing and until we start locking these punks up nothing is going to be changed and and if you do look at it, i want to give you a warning it, it's there's a lots of adult language but here's essentially what happens so this guy schedules that he's got a, a couple of these kia boys punk car thieves who go on on camera with him now they're covering their faces and things like that and they start talking about why they're, they're stealing cars and of course in the city of milwaukee we know that, and this has been true for the last couple of years, somewhere between 22 and 25 cars are stolen on average every day. And so he's interviewing. And these, are, these are kids. These are, these are, they start as young as 11. 11. And then, you know, it, it gets progressively larger. So well, actually, you watch the documentary, and while while they're filming the documentary, you see these cars speeding by, running through red lights. There's a woman who almost gets hit. This isn't staged. And so the, the question is, well, gee, do you, do you guys feel bad that you almost kill people? And the response is, ah, they need to be looking. They need to get out of the way. So, you know, if... if <laughs> So they're they're talking about this, and I'll give you some of of the highlights. I was going to play clips, but again, every third word is a bad word that we'd have to excise. But I'll, I'll give you the idea. So the guy is interviewing some of these people, and he's saying, "Okay, well, are you worried? Um, are are you worried about the the police chasing you?" 
And one of the guys says, no, no, because here's what happens. As soon as we start driving dangerously, the cops have to stop the chases. So that that's, that is the answer. You drive 90 miles an hour, you broke through the red lights, the police try to chase you, and even under the current chase policy, what they do is they say, okay, well, all we know is we just have to endanger all sorts of people's lives, and what would drive really, really recklessly, and then the police will, will back off. Are you afraid of what happens if you get caught? No, we're, we're not afraid. First of all, we, we almost never get caught. And if we get caught, worst case scenario, it's detention for three weeks. Detention for three weeks. It's a misdemeanor. Nothing happens to us at all. It's only a felony if we hit somebody or kill somebody. So, and I'm, I'm just, I'm picking out a couple highlights of this. Then there, there's a part on the documentary that I, I do think probably goes too far where, and I say documentary again in quotation marks, where they have one of the, one of the punks shows how you steal a car. He said, this is, this is what we do. And he gets into the guy who's filming this. And he says, yeah, if, if we were going to steal your car, this is what we do. We boost this here. We do this, that, and whatever. And I, I, I while on the one hand, I'm not naive enough to believe that if the people who are out there wanting to steal cars, they, that they don't know how to do that. But I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure that it's responsible to, hey, we're going to just show people. Anybody wants to see how you steal a car, this is how easy it is. But it, it's this very chilling sort of, again, broadcast, which puts out there what a number of us have been saying all along. Um, there's a line in the the, the the piece where apparently where one of the punks looks at the camera and says, well, it, it's, it's, it's going to be a bloody summer around here, um, which means... Again, pretty much that these punks are going to, you know, continue stealing cars just absolutely as fast as they can. And it's a situation where, well, you know, if you catch us, nothing much is going to happen. You get a lot of the, the conversation since this is being public is about, well, is this responsible? Again, does, does this glorify this sort of stuff? That's not my takeaway from this. I mean, I, I don't want to have that conversation. I look at this video, and all it does is, is memorialize stuff that we've been talking about for months and months. They interview a number of average citizens, um, in particular, primarily kind of in the inner city. And one after another, the, the question is, well, what should happen to these people? And, and I will tell you, I think almost everybody says, these punks need to be locked up. The, the, this is not going to stop until we stop, my phrase, this catch-and-release policy, because they know they know that nothing is going to happen to them. All right, our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I admit that this, this set me off because you know that there's car thefts that are out there. And as we have talked about on multiple occasions, car theft is a big deal. It's not a victimless crime. You know, you, oh, you, maybe you've got insurance. Well, okay, when your car is stolen and you don't have any other way to get to work and you've got to make the insurance claim and pay the deductible and wait to have your car fixed if it's found or wait till you get a replacement car, that, that's an incredible inconvenience to you. And if you happen to be one of those people who is, I don't know, driving through an intersection when one of these 
idiots. One of these punks drives at 95 miles an hour because they're having fun driving recklessly in a stolen car. You know, you, you understand what a threat this is. But here's the bottom line. It's not about universal driver's ed. It's not about, gee, we need more midnight basketball programs. You have a bunch of punks out there who do not give a rat's rump about anybody else, anybody else's property or anybody else's life. This is a game. And until until we start getting serious about this, this isn't going to stop. The DA's office in Milwaukee County has created part of this problem because they refuse to waive any of these punks into adult court. They will not do it. They do not treat this as something that is serious. The juvenile court judges and and the circuit court judges have created part of this problem as well because they do not treat this as a significant problem at all. And at some point in time, the community needs to rise up and say enough is enough. So what do you need to do? Yes, we probably need to build more juvenile detention centers. No question about it. Yes, we need to be more aggressive in waiving juveniles who steal cars into adult court and sending them either to juvenile detention facilities or, yes, into prison. And if the word gets out that you are going to be held accountable, just maybe it'll stop being this much of a game. But I am sick to death now of hearing, oh, these are just these poor underprivileged kids, and, and gee, this is a breakdown of the family structure, and, you know, what can we expect? Bull. You know right from wrong. And if you don't, just watch this documentary because every one of these progressively educated punks, they know what they're doing is wrong. They just don't care. They're not afraid of authorities, and it's got to stop. And if it doesn't stop, this is not going to get any better at all. And when did we just allow the community to become lord of the flies when the punks get to rule the streets? Isn't it time to take back the streets? And doesn't it start with saying, we want these people arrested, we want them prosecuted, and yeah, we don't care if the kid is 13 years old who's now stolen his fourth car, that kid is going to some form of detention, and it's more than three weeks, we're going to take him out of circulation for six months, a year, two years, whatever it takes, because maybe he'll get the message, maybe his punk buddy will get the message, but if not, at least he won't be out on the street stealing decent, hard-working, tax-paying citizens' cars. 855-616-1620. That is my answer to this. You know, and I think that's most of our answers to this. What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, if you, if you haven't figured this out, I'm, I'm just I'm just I'm fed up with this. I, I just am. And we've got to start taking back the streets. And I understand there's some of you out there that don't like my law enforcement solutions. But the bottom line is you've got these punks out there that just don't care. Nothing is going to change that until they realize that there are consequences. And, you know, in this documentary, they're laughing at people. They, they know that when they run from the cops, all they have to do is, quote, drive dangerous, you know, put people's lives at risk and the police won't chase them. But then even if they get caught, nothing's going to happen. We, you know, maybe it's three weeks, maybe it's three months. Yeah, you know, that that's nothing. Well, okay, what does that tell us? Julie in Kenosha. Julie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. I just couldn't echo your sentiments more. Um, I am so fed up with this. Um, 
I work as a clinical psychologist, and I will tell you, it's not rocket science to understand response costs of behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, What you need to understand is that the criminals are well aware of what the consequence is, and if it's not enough, it's not going to deter behavior. Right. And furthermore, we know that if you have uh, intermittent reinforcement, okay, so you have the police officers saying for every third, fourth, fifth carjacker, they're going to have five years of jail. That is intermittent reinforcement. That is going to be enough to deter some of this crime. Right, right. And you know the other thing, Julie, is that I, I my guess is that those carjackers that you're talking about, they start off as car thieves. You know, typically that there there is a pattern. You start out, you're 12 years old. It's fun to start boosting cars, so we're stealing cars. You get used to that, and then okay, now we're going to become carjackers. Now and and unless and until you run through a red light and hit and kill, you know, a family of four, you're able to get away with it. And and we we put up with this. That's what just drives me crazy, Julie. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, three weeks of detention, that's a joke. Yeah. And and like you mentioned with this documentary, these these car thieves are just laughing. Yeah, they are. We're, we're, Milwaukee is becoming the laughing stock. Now you're having so much deterring of um, tourism. Um, this was just Memorial Day weekend. My husband and my family, we always go to either Chicago or Milwaukee for the weekend and engage in, um, you know, the festivities, sure. whatever's going on. Well, I'll tell you what, Chicago has 33 carjackings a day. The whole entire city of Chicago. And Milwaukee's at 25? Yeah, well, that's uh, yeah. I think that that's car thefts uh, as opposed to carjackings. But I mean, but car, but yeah, exactly. I, I, I will tell you how this affects people, Julie, because I'm going to personalize this. All right, I, I grew up around here, right? I, I I like to I like to go downtown. I like to patronize. There's all sorts of great restaurants and things like that. I like to patronize. Tuesday night, we were going downtown. I I admit, in the back of my mind, I've got all sorts of choices as to where you can go and, and eat. All right, I'm I'm sitting in the back of my mind thinking, okay. The, the folks we're with, they, they want to go you know, to the very nice restaurant downtown. I'm sitting there think, in the third ward is where we went. I'm thinking, okay, where, where are we going to park the car? Um, what are the chances that when I come out, my car is going to be there? Now, as it turns out, I, my, one of my friends drove. But, but again, I'm thinking, oh, I'm kind of glad they're driving his car, not mine, because I, I, I want to come out. I want to be able to find my car. And I understand that there's some people who think, oh, that's being overly paranoid. 22 to 25 cars stolen a day. It's been like that for the last couple of years. And you watch this, this piece, this YouTube thing, and, and you see why this is going on, and you see why it's not getting any better. And with all due respect to the mayor, it's not universal driver's ed that is creating this problem. Until we take the people that are doing this and put them off the streets, until we have some degree of consequences and some degree of accountability, you are just never going to solve this problem. We are going to continue the segment for one one more segment after the news, as you can tell. I'm just... My my frustration, I've just hit that that point. Here's a text. Jeff, does the documentary, and we'll put that in quotation marks, does the the YouTube piece you're talking about talk about what they actually do with the cars once they've been stolen them? From Yes, Dave, from Racine, they they do. And what they say is sometimes these punks are stealing three and four cars a day. Why? Because they smash the first one up, 
and then they need another car. So they go out. They will talk about how it is not uncommon to steal three or four in a day because you're driving them in reckless fashion. So, yeah, after you've smashed the first one, you need another one to go out. And it's kind of like a badge of honor. So, yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. They No, it's not even like we're stealing the cars to take them to a chop shop or something like that, which would be illegal, but at least there would be some rational purpose. No, we're stealing them because it's fun. And we're stealing them because we can, and we're stealing them because not a damn thing's going to happen to us if we get caught. So yeah, we're st- so yes, yes, they're they're used for joyrides. You destroy the one car, and then you leave it, and you go somewhere else. All right, if you can tell, my frustration level. I'm still just talking about this is making it worse, not better. By the way, they estimate that of the thousands and thousands of cars, the 10,000 plus cars that were stolen last year from the streets of Milwaukee alone, they estimate that about half of those cars are stolen by people 16 and under. And of course, almost nothing happens to the people in the event that they are caught. What, what, what are we missing here? Jeff, the state law give DAs sufficient power to put kids away if they want to? Absolutely. Now, look, I'm the first one to say, and I've said this on multiple occasions, I think we need an overall reform of the juvenile justice system. I think it's time to stop coddling these punks that are out there. Too often, I think our juvenile justice system, it's built on like Opie and and Mayberry. It's not recognizing what is going on in the mean streets of Milwaukee right now or in many other urban areas. But yeah, there there, there is the power. The Milwaukee DA's office, the Milwaukee County DA's, DA's office will not waive people in adult court for stealing cars. Doesn't matter how many cars you steal. If you're a juvenile, you're not going to get waived into adult court. Juvenile court, you get prosecuted. The judges, they, 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 they will not, as a general rule, put people in any form of significant detention for for car theft. That's like in this this piece. They're they're saying, yeah, at worst it's it's three months. A lot of times it's just a couple weeks. You know, that's nothing. All right, it, it, you, we need to start locking these people up. And I also acknowledge that means no more juvenile detention facilities. Okay, I, I get that, but let's start getting people off the streets. So while I am all in favor of all sorts of changes to the juvenile justice law, including not coddling and protecting these punks, but rather let's identify them publicly. You know, you steal five cars. Yeah, I think your name should be out in public. I think the neighbors should know that there's a car thief that's living on their block. Jeff, I don't agree with you with many things, but I'm 100% with you on this. This is complete and total, and then a word I cannot say on the, you know, radio. So, I mean, look, I'm all in favor, again, of, of taking a hard look at, at reforming the juvenile justice laws. Not that Tony Evers is going to sign off on any of those in a meaningful sort of way. But that's but the laws are, are there right now if we're willing to enforce them. And the problem is we are not. Jeff, it's early in the day. You've just made my head explode again. What will it take for our city representatives to do something? I don't know. If if you watch this piece and see the absolute arrogance of these kids, and that that's what they are, who at one point in time in this this piece, there's a woman who almost gets hit 
by a speeding car. And so they ask one of these punks, well, you know, do you, do you feel bad, you know, when you almost hit somebody? And the response is, nah, they should be looking out for it. You know, so it's your, it's your fault if you happen to be in that intersection with your spouse and your three children in the back seat of the car. It's your fault when that stolen car goes through that red light at 85 miles an hour and maybe hits you or maybe doesn't. But you're the one that should be looking out for it. It's your fault if you're crossing the street, you know, with the right of way. It's your fault if you're standing on the sidewalk when one of these punk car thieves starts driving 90 miles an hour and decides to, the phrase they use is drive dangerous, because when they do that, they know the police will uh, stop the chase. It's, 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 It's Lord of the Flies. It is Lord of the Flies. 855-616-1620, 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Phil in Stevens Point. Phil, good afternoon. Well, thank you for um, letting me talk here. My my thing is I think they should just bring plain old discipline back, you know, put a paddle in the teacher's desk, I mean, not feeding, and let the teachers and parents discipline goods. A good swat on a, on a butt doesn't hurt. Well, I think I mean thanks for calling. I, I look this this is beyond that. I mean it's it, it's it, I think we we've we've gotten past like regardless of how you feel about corporal punishment in the schools. I I I doubt. By the way, I, I doubt that a lot of these these progressively educated teenagers who are out stealing cars. I, I doubt that too many of them are spending too much time in school as it is. But you know that's we're, we're past that. You know we're, we're past the swat on the butt, or you know we're past the you know the good sisters you know wrapping your knuckles with a ruler. We're out stealing cars. Who thinks it's okay to steal cars? I, I mean seriously, when did it be? When did this become this this game? And and. <sighs> 11, 12, 13-year-olds. I mean, and look, and I, again, I don't want to suggest that the all, only reckless driving, the only car theft that goes on is with kids 16 and under. Don't don't believe that. But I think it's, it, it's a universal sort of problem, but it's a particular problem because it's a game for a lot of these young people. And if you've ever had your car stolen, if you've been a victim of this, you understand that it's it's really not a game. Let's talk to Jerry. Jerry, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, uh, Jeff. Thank you for taking sure. my call. Uh, I agree with you on, on uh, many of your stances. Uh, the uh, DA and the judges are very lax in their uh, attempt in their so-called attempts to discipline. But uh, you know, the thing here is too. That when these uh, these punks start driving recklessly, uh, that becomes an issue of uh, carelessness. It's no different than them going and picking up a gun and shooting somebody. Their their intent is they don't care about harming somebody, and I think that the authorities should not back off on them, and they should you know make attempts either to bump the vehicle to try and stop mm-hmm. them, or if they have to use use physical force and. Yeah, it's safe, but by by fire. Uh, well, I mean, I don't. I'm, Jerry, really, let me stop you. I, here's here's. I mean, look, I I, I don't I, I don't you, you I don't want the police officers trying to shoot at moving cars. Okay, that this I, I would say it's not the wild wild west, but you know, more and more it, it's becoming like like the wild wild west around here with a complete and total disregard by by a certain segment of of the population. I mean, it's not everybody, but it, but it's enough. 
that when you sit there and you say 20 plus cars stolen a day, and and let's assume that the numbers I'm using are are accurate, which of those 20 plus cars that are stolen a day, half are going to be stolen by people 16 and younger. That's kind of what the data shows. I mean, it's I'm not saying you shoot at the fleeing cars. I don't think that that's the answer. I don't want to get into gun battles, but what we're doing isn't working. Jeff, as the mother of a son who is in prison at the age of 23, his career as a problem child started young. I would beg the judges and the district attorneys to give severe punishment for small things because small things lead to bigger things. Yeah, that and that's that's kind of the point I was making and I I've, I've said this before, but back in another life when I was a federal prosecutor, we would we would have defendants who had done something really, really bad, and they were going to federal prison for a long time. That was just the, the reality of it. And I would look at their criminal records, and you would see a pattern. And, and did it happen all the time? No. Did it happen 90% of the time? Yes. And what was that pattern? The pattern is it started out with some like sort of small offense, and then... Nothing happened to them with the small offense. They were put on double secret probation, and then it was a more significant offense, and then it was a more significant offense. And all the while, there was no real consequence. And then ultimately, they ended up doing something really bad, and there wasn't any choice. They were going to federal prison for 15 or 20 years. And I always thought, not for all of them, but maybe for some of them, maybe for some of them, if if we had intervened and we had taught them that there were consequences early. You know, that third time you get caught stealing a car, obviously the first two times you were caught, didn't you didn't get the message that you're not supposed to steal other people's cars. The third time you get caught stealing a car, okay, maybe it's maybe it's juvenile detention for a year. Yeah, we're going to take you out of the community. Oh, that's going to be terrible. Well, all right, we, we need to get the message across that you cannot continue to engage in this antisocial behavior. And, and then once you get the hardcore bad apples off the street, and maybe once you get the message out that, hey, if you don't want to get taken off the street, you're going to, uh, this, this is something, you know, maybe you need to rethink this, Then then you can start dealing with the other stuff that's around there. You can start dealing with the, okay, the universal driver's ed, which I'm not against. I just don't think it, it deals with the problem of reckless driving or, or some of the other stuff. But you've got to take on the massive problem first. All right, before this documentary got me worked up, to this point, here, here's a story, Fox 6 from yesterday. Three Milwaukeeans were arrested after they were seen in a vehicle leaving the scene of a shooting Wednesday, June 1st, near 62nd and Villard. Police say the shots were fired around 6.30 p.m. A 19-year-old was hit and taken to the hospital. All right, police, uh, two, three people were arrested. Two boys and a girl were arrested after their vehicle was stopped near 35th and Melvina. Police say a firearm was recovered. Okay, so this is 6.30 at night, so it's still broad daylight, shooting 62nd and Villard. Picture that area. Three people involved, ultimately arrested. They've recovered the gun. Dazzling detail, ages of the three, 14, 15, and 17. 
14, 15, 17. I do not know if the vehicle was stolen or not, but all I know is they shot a 19-year-old. A 14, a 15, and a 17-year-old shooting a 19-year-old at 6.30 last night on 62nd, 61st, and Villard. All right, it... Like I said earlier, we talk about the wild, wild west. Well, we might have to start apologizing to the wild, wild west when you've got stuff like this going on. But we got to start getting serious about it. And, again, you watch this piece, and I'll double back to where I started. And you're talking to all these people, residents of the area, who are saying, lock them up, lock them up, lock them up. So my question is, everybody understands that they need to be locked up, except apparently the district attorney's office and the court system. Okay, a lot of times I, I, I get to vent, and I, and I feel better. I don't feel better after this one. It, it's just it's just so darn frustrating, and it's been going on, and it's getting worse. And, you know, we, we, we have these different things that come out, and, and we get all this, this sort of lip service that comes, and, yes, it's terrible, and, 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 and it is terrible, but nobody seems to want to deal with anything, at least deal with the first thing head on, which is we have an out-of-control crime problem. And the first thing you got to do is you've got to impose meaningful consequences for the criminals. And then once you do that, then you can start tinkering around the edges. You can start dealing with root causes or or things like that. But this, I I guess, I I understand it's now gotten to the point where, again, you, you can't leave your car unlocked in your driveway if you are in certain areas of town because it's going to be gone. And some people might suggest it's your fault. And, and if you, if you leave your car unlocked in your driveway, well, okay, that's, that's the bigger problem. Remember we did this story last week. It was, um, out in Wauwatosa, just to the south of, uh, of Mayfair. It was in one of the, the residential neighborhoods just to the south of Mayfair. And they had a, a neighbor that said, Okay, we, we had a bunch of teenagers that were walking through the neighborhood and cars park on the street there and they were they were trying to see if they were unlocked. They were pulling the, the car locks up uh, to see if the doors were unlocked. And somebody called the police and the police came out and then of course what happens? The kids run, but uh, several of them were caught. Haven't seen any follow up on that and but you you know darn well what those kids were doing. They were going through a residential area. They were trying to find cars that were unlocked so they could either go in and steal them. And if you know what you're doing, unfortunately, you can steal a car in in a matter of seconds. I mean, it's like they're gone in 60 seconds. Now it's kind of like gone in 30 seconds. Or alternatively, if they weren't looking to steal the cars, they were looking to get in and then just just go through them and look, is there money? Is there anything else that we can steal in there? And they're not afraid of this. They're not afraid of the system. They don't care that it's your property. It doesn't matter to anybody. That's It's just, it's your fault. They're, they are there. And that's why I say it's kind of like this Lord of the Flies thing. And we, we do... I mean, have to approach this on a number of different levels. I'm getting some people saying they need to toughen the juvenile laws. Absolutely. No argument there. But that's only going to be as effective as a commitment from the DAs and the court system to start holding people accountable. And there is a reluctance to do that because there is a belief among some people that, well, we we don't want consequences. People are going to be upset. Oh, this is just, okay, so it's the seventh or eighth car that little Johnny has stolen and he's 15 years old. Well, you know, we, we don't want to give him a black mark. We don't want to give him a black mark on his record or something like that. We don't. 
don't want him traumatized moving forward for the rest of his life. Nuts to that. Nuts to that. The kid is on his way to becoming a career criminal, and we have to figure out ways to stop that. And what we're doing now doesn't do it. And meanwhile, you've got everybody else that's being victimized in these fashions. And I I just this is one to me where the general public is so far ahead of the DA's office and the court system and some of the chattering class who, well, you know, we, we, you know, this is a terrible sort of thing, but we have to look at why it is that, you know, people are stealing cars in the first place. They're stealing cars because they have no, they don't care. They are amoral. They have no sense of right and wrong. They don't care about anybody else. And, and don't tell me, well, they're 12 or 13 years old. Their, their minds aren't fully formed. Most people, we were all 12 or 13 once and we knew that we didn't steal stuff belonging to other people. And this idea that, well, it, it's, you know, economic deprivation. No, it, that, that's that's like saying poor people are more inclined to crime. You know, how elitist is that? No, I mean, you know right from wrong, and you know it at an early age. And, again, you look at this little piece there, and a lot of this car theft, it's not even for profit. It's just for fun. We can do it. And, yeah, if we steal three or four cars in a day, yeah, we might have to do that because we trash the one. Then we need another car that we can joyride around in. Will the last person to leave the city of Milwaukee please turn off the lights? Or can we wake up and start dealing with this problem so people in the suburbs feel safe driving down to the city and parking their cars on the street? And people who live in the city of Milwaukee who have to park their cars on the street or in their driveways don't have to wake up on a daily basis with a 50-50 chance that their car is going to be vandalized or stolen. Is that really too much to ask? Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Mike Spalding, before you leave, this as, as we peel back the curtain here at Radio City, in our studio, we have a number of TV screens. Um, there's one that's always set to TMJ4, and there's one that has the traffic on it, and there's one that, when it's working, has the weather on it, and then there's one cable thing that I get to set for whatever I want to have on. And then there's this in-house feed, and I don't know what this is, but it caught... I, I'm normally paying it rapt attention to your to your news, but this one, it's some... Maybe, could this be Days of Our Lives that are on? I, I mean, I don't know the feed. It's in-house, and it's it's some... The, the thing that caught my attention is some relatively well-endowed woman who had fallen into a, a pool and was kind of climbing out, trying to keep her dress on. That's what caught my attention there. And I'm this is our in-house feed here at WTMJ. Do you have any idea what that is? And- I, I was trying to judge by the, the lettering on the opening credits. And I think you might be right. You say Days of Our Lives. It well, looks familiar on the opening credits, but I have no idea. I don't. But it caught my attention. It, it's <laughs> well, uh, kind of like out of the. I'm thinking, and this is the, the in-house feed that they're they're putting out across all. This, and I'm wondering, huh? What exactly? Because because Days of Our Lives is preempted because there's the the French Open mm-hmm. tennis tournament that's going on. So I'm I'm just wondering what that is because whenever we do have those soap operas on and I happen to look over, it, it is almost always a scantily clad woman who is 
coming out of a pool or it's guys with their shirts off or, or whatever. Kidnapped or something, chained or something chained, like that. A lot of that, like, yeah, 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 a lot of basements and things like that. You go, they must only have like, like three or four sets and one is a bedroom and one is a cellar and, you know, then, then there's a, a bar scene and stuff. Okay. So you, all right. That's your mission. Your, your text is, your, your test is to find out what that was that caught my attention. All right, next newscast, one thirty. It, it might be the lead, so oh, we'll see. <laughs> that's it. I'm just, I'm just kind of curious, but it's so this. If you wonder, what do they do during the breaks? Well, I'm I'm, I'm listening to Mike's newscast and stuff, but I just kind of happened to look over and I thought, whoa, what's that going on there? Um, all right, before the break, the final Jeopardy answer is two eighty five. Two eighty five. All right, now during the break, a number of people just, just weighed in with their guest. 285, all you've got to hit for an average to earn $20 million a year in Major League Baseball. Well, that, that could be right, but that wasn't what I was looking for. 285, what my the final Jeopardy answer is, what is the number of shootings year-to-date in Milwaukee? Seems like a logical follow-through from the last segment. Hope I'm wrong. Well, um, to that texture, you are, in fact, wrong, but and it would be a, a logical follow-through through what we talked about in the last segment of the program, but no, it, it's not 285 because you're way low. The number of non, just for, for curiosity's sake, the number of non-fatal shootings in the city of Milwaukee thus far, and we just, what, say June 2nd, so five full months, the number of fatal shootings, non-fatal shootings, is 344. If you add to that the number of homicides, and and I don't have it broken down by gun homicide, but my guess is let, let's there, there might be a couple people who died because of knives, but let's assume it's it's probably guns. 90 homicides. My God, seriously, it's not summer yet, and you've got 90 homicides already. To give you a perspective, last year. All-time record homicides in the city of Milwaukee, 193. This and and it picks up during the summer. More people are outside on the streets, out later, etc. Um, last year it was 193, but at this time last year, it was um, there were 64. This time to this year, year to date, 90. That's up 43 percent. My God. So if you were to add the non-fatal shootings to the homicides, and again, we'll assume they're all gun homicides. It might be a little bit altered. Um, no, the number isn't 285. The number would be 434. I, I don't even know what to say. I, I just, I, I don't. I, I don't know what to say. And for everybody out there who doesn't believe that we should start locking people up and holding people accountable, it just these numbers are just absolutely staggering. But no, that that's that was not the answer that I was looking for. Final Jeopardy answer is two eighty five. What is the question? And several of you have nailed it in one. What was the price of a gallon of gasoline last year? And, and by that I mean year same time last year, June first. I think the numbers I have are from June first. But yeah, and I understand gas has moved up a little bit. Last year, gasoline was two dollars and eighty five cents a gallon. This year, 
Um, I, I don't know. As I was driving to work, I saw that where I where I live and the gas stations I saw, it, it was around four seventy nine for a gallon of unleaded regular. And and I'm sure maybe you can find it for a little bit cheaper somewhere. My guess is that, that some of you see it a lot more. But let let's two eighty five versus four seventy nine. Let, let let's let's figure let, let's for the sake of argument bear with me let's say it's 485 which i i think several of you have probably seen gas is up two dollars per gallon over the course of the last year jeff just drove past the gas station four dollars and 89 cents yeah so uh, right two bucks it's essentially two dollars a gallon more than it was you know a year ago today now, if you listen to Joe Biden, he'll say it's not my fault. I, I have no controls over this at all. It's part of the supply chain stuff, and it's Putin. And to an extent, there, there's some validity of it. But at the same time, this this is a presidency that has – they want you out of your cars. They have – pretty much declared war on energy producers, whether it's prohibiting expansions of pipelines, whether it's doing everything they possibly can to not encourage domestic oil production. Um, and, and as a result of this, you're, you're seeing this, this massive mess that a lot of people are experiencing. So it's $4.85 a gallon, which is a real harm to people. When you, you've got a 15-gallon gas tank and you know it, it's costing you somewhere around 70 bucks to, to fill up that gas tank. And you've got to do it because you've got to take your kids to school and you've got to go grocery shopping and you've got to get to work and your spouse has to get to work. This is a real problem, and yet the administration apparently doesn't have any clue as to what to deal with this. It's all, well, humming, 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 it's not our fault, there's nothing that we can do about it, when the truth is, Again, at least in my opinion, pretty much everything Joe Biden has done with regard to the economy and inflation in particular has been the wrong move. But but that that's the reality. We're now looking at four dollars and eighty five cents a gallon gasoline up two dollars a gallon over the course of the last year. So what is something? Let's let's bring this back to a local statewide level. What is something that we could do immediately to give us all? some relief from the high price of gas gasoline now i understand you could you know you can try to increase domestic oil production that's going to take a while you can um, try to in, increase the number of refineries. That's going to take a while. We can figure out, and things might get a little bit better because OPEC said that they're f- going to start pumping some more gas in July and August. That's why the stock market's up a little bit today. So th- those are all sort of good things that that are out there. But what is something that could be done immediately that would help me, that would help you, that would help all of us in Wisconsin? All right, Governor Evers. Are you listening? Now, I, I've argued there's a couple things. First of all, we've talked about this before. If you repeal the minimum markup law that requires requires people to mark up gasoline like 10%, you could immediately save people 30 to 40 cents a gallon. That that would be meaningful. So that that's one thing. But I want to talk about meaningful, meaning I don't want to talk about minimum markup right now. I want to talk about something that could be done starting today if there was the political will. And I will tell you, because I've canvassed some of the people I know in the legislature, they're up for it if the governor would sign on. What am I talking about? I am talking about a summer Wisconsin gas tax moratorium. 
the gasoline tax in the state of Wisconsin, there's actually two taxes that we have. It's about 33 cents a gallon, about 33 cents a gallon. All right. We are awash in federal covid relief money that's been thrown into this state. All right. How about Governor Evers? and Republicans in the legislature, how about doing something for people that are hard-pressed right now? If Joe Biden says in- inflation is transitory, whatever that means, all right, then then we believe that gas prices are going to go back down at some point in time. Real easy. How about we suspend the state gas tax for 30, 60, 90 days? How about we do that? Save people right away 33 cents at the pump. Tony Evers was one who participated in a press conference a couple months ago with the Democratic governors who said, we, we think we should suspend the federal gas tax for a while. Okay, that that's like 16 or 17 cents a gallon. I'm not necessarily opposed to that, but how about, how about the elephant in the room? The Wisconsin gasoline tax, 33 cents a gallon. How about we declare a moratorium on collecting that and then use some of this other money that, that's coming in for the federal government, for example, to, to go into the road? fund. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I'm not saying you suspend it forever, but how about 90 days? How about, given the fact that we are in an unprecedented period of inflation, how about the fact that the high gasoline tax, high gasoline prices impact everybody, but it is particularly regressive in that it hurts poor people, poorer people, more than it hurts wealthier people, how about we do something for the people of Wisconsin and we suspend the gas tax? 855-616-1620. And I will tell you this, if Tony Evers says he's willing to sign off on this, I guarantee you I will personally call up some of my friends in the Republican side of the state legislature and say, hey, Evers says he's on board. Let's do this to help all of us. 33 cents a gallon cheaper to buy gasoline tomorrow than it would be today. And all the legislators and the governor have to do is snap their fingers and make it happen, should they? 855-616-1620. We discuss. 855-616-1620. All right, I'm looking at this piece. It's actually March 9th. Tony Evers holds a press conference. He's posing for holy pictures. Calling on, this is with the average gas price in Wisconsin approaching $4 per gallon. He's calling on federal lawmakers to suspend the federal gas tax to help lower prices. Federal gas tax is about 16 cents a gallon. Okay. However, the governor indicated Wednesday, this is back in March, that he is not prepared to take that step with the much higher state taxes and fees. All right. Well, here's my question, Governor. You weren't willing to do it in March. Gas has gone through the roof now. The summer driving season is coming up. Wisconsin gas taxes and fees are the 11th highest in the nation. How about you declare a a moratorium on the gas tax for 30, 60, 90 days? We've had moratoriums on having to pay your rent. We have a moratorium that's gone on for years with not having to pay your student loans. How about a moratorium on the state gas tax, 855-616-1620. Let's start with Vincent in Milwaukee. Vincent, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, I think that's a great idea uh, to have a moratorium on the gas tax in this state. The fact is we have over a billion-dollar surplus in this state, 
and nobody really wants to give it back to the taxpayers. Yeah. The fact is, uh, I think Governor Evers, yes, it, 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 we should call him. But the fact is, is that the state legislature hasn't passed any bills towards doing that. The fact is, they uh, everybody says they want to do it, but nobody's uh, pushing the button on it. So, so, uh, uh, so who who's for it that you know? Up in, you, know, you say some people are bored up in the state, but who's up there? Because nobody's talking about it. Well, well, exactly, which is why, I mean, because what I am told is because the, the governor is, at least so far, signaled that he's refusing to do this. It becomes like an exercise in futility. You know, and Vincent, and, I, and I'm tired of the politics on this. I mean, I don't care who gets credit for it. I guess I don't understand. It's an election year. You would think that this would, unless you're like a road builder or something, you would think that this Republican or Democrat, this would be incredibly popular to do, wouldn't you? It should be very simple. The fact is, put the governor's feet to the fire. Create the bill, pass pass the bill, and put it on his desk. If he doesn't sign it, then he takes the hit for it. But first of all, put the bill on his put the bill in front of him. And if he doesn't sign it, then then it's his problem. But the fact is, nobody's pushing the button on this, and so we stay stagnant with these high uh, gas ta- gas taxes in this in this state. Vincent, thanks for the call. You raise a good point. Republicans in the state legislature, Robin Voss, state Senate leader. How about how about we come out like about 20 minutes from now and call for a special session for the purpose of suspending the state gas tax for a period of 90 days? Now, I'm not even sure you I I think I think Tony Evers may I say may have the authority to do that without having to go through the legislature. But but if he's reluctant to do it. Why, let, let's, that's fair enough. Call for a special session. Let's suspend, let's suspend the gas tax for 90 days. And look, and I understand the gas tax and the fees exist to, to do like the road work and stuff. Vincent is on to something. We've got a huge surplus in the state. Let's use it. Let's use it to, all right, we'll, we'll make up for some of the revenue, maybe not all, but we'll make up for some of the revenue we lose during the gas tax. Or all this COVID relief money that's coming in, maybe we can take some money towards that and use it in place of the money that would be generated. This is stuff that would help average citizens, and it's not a difficult thing to do. Now, I, I understand you might irritate a couple of the special interests that are out there, but Four dollars. Somebody just texted me. Said Jeff in Kenosha, it's five dollars and nine cents a gallon. Five oh nine. This is real pain that is being caused by people because folks aren't getting out of their cars. What's I was I was talking to somebody the other day, a business person. They were telling me how their business is down dramatically over the course of the last couple of months, and and the reason is it's because of high gas prices because people are using they're they're not shopping like they normally would shop because they're they're putting it all into their cars just to get back and forth to work or do all these other things. Governor Evers, this. This is an easy thing. Robin Voss, this is an easy thing. Republicans in the state Senate, this is an easy thing. Now, like I say, you might irritate, you know, some some couple special interest lobbies, but it's it's 33 cents a gallon. Boom. Right off the top that you could do to impress and make the average citizens of Wisconsin's life a little better. What the heck are you waiting for? It, it, It seems 
so easy. See, we, we could just we could figure this out in the course of just three hours. We could solve so many problems. You know, we could start locking up the juvenile car thieves. We could give everybody a quick break of thirty three cents a gallon off. Think that that would mean as you fill up the tank. And, and those are just the things we've covered in the first ninety minutes of the program. Imagine what we're going to do in the second ninety minutes of the program. <laughs> Yeah, a number of people are texting. Apparently, my texts, my my comments were a little bit outdated because I was saying, you know, average gas price four seventy something a gallon. Jeff Corner of Silver Spring and Port Road Mobile Station five dollars and nine cents a gallon. Five dollars and nine cents a gallon. Um, and again, there is a little bit of good news that OPEC says it's going to start pumping more gas, um, more producing more oil, which might temporarily like lower things. And I really do believe this is a transitory thing. I, I, Joe Biden is completely and totally wrong when it comes to, he said a, you know, a year ago, oh, this is going to be transitory. I, and pretty much everything that the Biden administration has done with regard to the economy has been wrong. I mean, I've made this argument before that in, in great detail that he, he should just, the old Seinfeld show where you know George Costanza, there's an episode where George Costanza, the Jason the character played by Jason Alexander realizes that you know every decision he's made in his life has been wrong so he just starts doing the opposite well my advice to Joe Biden is take the Costanza rule and just you know if you think this is something you should do with the economy do the opposite and chances are that you will probably be right but I admit I'm, I'm kind of frustrated by just the the absolute cluelessness and the arrogance of the Evers administration and I, I just sent out a tweet um, about this, and you can follow me at Jeff Wagner six twenty. But uh, three months ago, Evers holds that this press conference where he he calls on the federal government to suspend its gas tax. Okay, federal gas taxes. I, I think all said, all done. I was saying sixteen cents. I think it's actually eighteen cents. But in Wisconsin, we we have between the gas tax and this other tax that they have added on, it's the tenth or eleventh highest in the state in the country. It's thirty three cents a gallon. And well, three months ago. I asked this question, a couple of reporters asked this question, well, gee, Governor, you think the Fed should suspend their gas tax? Fine. How about the state tax, gas tax? And Evers' response is, humana, 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 I'm, I'm not, not going to do that now. Well, okay, that was three months ago. Prices have gone nothing, doing nothing but go through the roof. How about now? I mean, now that it's pushing five bucks a gallon, how about giving the your constituents a, a break? Where where is that? So if you follow, and I've got a link to the, the story. If you follow me on Twitter again at Jeff Wagner six twenty. All right, I had um, a friend of mine had lunch. There's a long way of get. I'm, I want to. Sometimes I get into the topic the short way. Sometimes there, there's the long way. This is the long way. I, I admit it, but it gives me another chance to vent. The friend of mine uh, was telling me that he had lunch downtown a couple days ago. And the, the place that he ate at kind of overlooked a a, a hop, you know, the, the Tom Barrett's trolley folly. It, it, it overlooked a, a trolley, you know, um, loading area. So he was eating. He said that the lunch took about an hour and 15 minutes. He said he counted. He counted the number of people on a given hop car during and this is this is during lunch hour so you would think that if, if anybody is riding the stupid trolley they would be riding it you know during lunch hour right that that's you know that that's the the, the time he said he counted and of the various cars the trolley cars that he saw go by 
under no circumstances did he see any car that had more than three people on it. Three people on it, and a couple of the trolleys that went by had absolutely nobody on it. It, it really is. It's an air trolley. It, it, we, are, we, we have spent just stupid money to build a, 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 a transportation system that almost nobody rides. And if it wasn't publicly supported and you charged even 50 cents for it or a dollar like they originally planned, nobody would ride it. But, okay, so I, I, I just, I, I'm thinking of, of all the money that we just completely, you know what it away, building building that trolley. And now I know that there's some people who want to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to expand the, the trolley line. Well, if the reason that nobody rides it is because it doesn't go anywhere. And so now, you know, we, we need to expand it. So we want it to go to the Pfizer Forum or whatever. And that's going to cost, you know, another three, four or five hundred million dollars, how, however much that's that's going to be. And you just kind of roll your head and you think, what, where, where are people coming from when it comes to money? Which brings me to the next story. You will remember a few weeks ago with much fanfare, it was announced that there was an effort to build a new soccer stadium, a soccer stadium in what is called the Iron District. That's the area around 6th and Michigan, if you can remember it's where, like, the bus depot used to be, and it's where there used to be a Ramada Inn, which is where all the sailors and the hookers used to hang out. Well, the Ramada Inn is long. Well, it's true. It's what happened. You know, it's that, that was the big, that was one of the big locations, you know, where the sailors and the hookers used to hang out. Well, the Ramada Inn is long gone. How do you know that, Jeff? I was in law enforcement back in the day, so it was a purely professional sort of thing. So anyhow, you've got, you've the idea was, we're going to build this, a complex of buildings on 6th and Michigan, and we want to build an 8,000-seat soccer stadium. We want to build a hotel. We want to build an apartment complex, and we want to build a 3,500-seat uh, capacity concert hall. Well, the concert hall is now already kind of questionable because a rival group has now committed to building an almost identical type of facility on the space where the Bradley Center was. And as I've, I've argued repeatedly, if, if I don't believe Milwaukee can support two identical facilities or facilities that are designed to um, to bring in the same sort of acts and stuff. You, you can't have two within a few blocks of each other. You can have them, but only one is going to succeed. And my money would be on the place that's in the in or near the Deer District, where you already have the entertainment infrastructure, etc. So it's already, I think, that the concert hall idea is kind of questionable. So you're going to have some low-income housing that's attached to this. You're going to have a hotel, and then you're going to have this this soccer stadium. Well, they've already announced that, um, and it, the, the whole idea is that they think the whole project's going to cost like $160 million. And the soccer stadium alone, which is the centerpiece of this, is going to be like like forty million. So they've already announced that they're putting in these apartments that are going to be part of it. Um, they're looking. The developers are looking to get a one point eight million dollars from the city because again, it's going to be quote unquote affordable slash low income housing. So they they need that money from the city to make that element of it work. But the the elephant in the room is the fact that um, now the developers are saying that they need 
they, they need a public subsidy. And Urban Milwaukee, which is one of the websites that does, I think, an actually an outstanding job of covering Milwaukee. And it, it's got a liberal bent, but that, that's okay. They, they, they cover stuff. There's a piece by Bruce Murphy today saying soccer stadium will need public subsidy. Now, they're not willing to say how much, but they're estimating that the entire project, $160 million, $40 million needed to finance the soccer stadium. And they're talking about how, you know, in order to do this, they're going to need a contribution of public dollars to get it built. Now, they're not saying, you know, if it, this, if the soccer stadium costs 40 or 50 million, that we want 40 million from the taxpayers or we want 30 million from the taxpayers. But it's very clear that they are going to be asking for the public to pick up some of the tab towards building the, this soccer stadium. All right, now, of course, this comes at a time when both the city of Milwaukee and Milwaukee County, well, the way Urban Milwaukee describes it is they face huge structural deficits that may require major layoffs of workers in the coming years. Let me translate. The city of Milwaukee and Milwaukee County, for a variety of reasons, are for all intents and purposes broke or close enough for government work to to being broke. So the question is, public dollars, whether it's $1, whether it's $10 million, whether it's $20 million for a soccer stadium as part of a complex to be built on 6th and Michigan. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? We, we've had this debate before about um, American Family Field, formerly Miller Park, and I think most people would say, all, all right, public investment of money, it turned out to be a good investment. I know some people in Racine are still mad about the sales tax, but you got to get over that. Pfizer Forum, a large, large contribution of private funds, but the public paid for some of it. And I think, you know, you can again say, Hey, regardless of how you feel about this, that it was a winner. You know, that that whole Park East area was a moonscape. And now, you know, Fiserv has become the the linchpin in a development. So Sixth and Michigan, which is kind of a moonscape as well. All right. Do we take is it worth millions of dollars of taxpayer money to invest? I say that in quotation marks, invest in a soccer stadium on 6th and Michigan, 855-616-1620. We don't know how much they're asking for, but the developers are saying they're going to have to ask for something. We can spend tens of millions of dollars on the trolley. All right, should we build it on a, spend it on a soccer stadium? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. One of our texters says, Jeff, I, I don't understand why low-income housing has to be attached to the soccer stadium and the hotel and the proposed 3,500-seat venue. Well, I, I, okay, I think you probably do. The reason is because if you make it low-income housing, you qualify for taxpayer-provided subsidies. And if you don't have that taxpayer money, it doesn't make economic sense, and it's not doable. So that's why that that's why the plan is let's add low income housing to this because we we know we can get the quote unquote free money, and of course we know it's not free. But but the larger point is, given where we are financially, and and I I'm a guy who I supported 
Miller Park, now American Family Field. I, I thought that was a worthy expenditure, and I think I've been proven right. I think those of us who were supporters have been proven right. Pfizer Forum, especially because th- there was a lot of private money that went in, but I, I thought that there was I thought there was a value to that, and I think at least so far the early returns show it's the same way. But it is a different economic time right now, and there's a difference between – I don't know, building a a stadium where you've got the Milwaukee Brewers that are already here or you've got the Milwaukee Bucks that are already here and then taking a flyer on let's build a stadium for a a minor league soccer team on on 6th in in Michigan downtown and let's tie it in with a a hotel that we may or may not need and let's tie it in with a 3,500-seat concert venue that is going to duplicate another concert venue that we've got a few blocks away that's going to be built. You put that all together and you, you say... It's fine if the developers can do this, and and if it makes economic sense, that's that's great. But I, to me, most people have to look at this and say this has got to be a non-starter if you are talking about any significant commitment of public funds, because where is the money going to come from? I mean, you you look at Milwaukee County. And you look at all the needs that Milwaukee County has. You know, one of the things that nobody talks about is is the, you know, the courthouse and the safety building. Those, I'm just waiting for, particularly the safety building, I'm waiting for OSHA to come in and condemn it. I mean, it's, it is in very, very bad shape. If you've ever been over there, that, that, the, the infrastructure is in really bad shape. And at some point in time, that's going to have to be replaced and you're going to have to come up with the dough from that. I, I just, you know, wh- where is the money going to come from? A number of people are texting me, Jeff, remember all the conversations we have about the park system? Remember about the domes? You know, everybody's saying, oh, we've got to, if the, the domes, if we don't want them to fall down, we're going to have to put all sorts of money into that. E- everybody's got their own special interests to preserve things that are already around here, and we don't have the dough for it. We, we just don't. So I-, I think it's great to talk about like, let's build a soccer stadium, and I appreciate that the people behind it are very, very serious people who've done some good things in the community. But if the idea, and this is what I said when this first happened, if the idea is you're building this with an expectation that the taxpayers are going to be contributing a significant amount, and I guess we could argue about what a significant amount is, but what... Let before everybody gets excited about this. Let's see what the real numbers are. And if if it's a hundred and sixty million dollar project to build a hotel, a duplicative uh, concert venue, and you know low income housing and a soccer stadium, how much of that is going to be private and how much of that is going to be public? And if if you're talking about anything more than kind of a, a minimal public contribution. It's like, where, where do people think the money is going to come from? I look at these renderings and the drawings, and they're really cool. There, there's, you know, there, there's really um, cool, and it's really fun to, you know, it's, it's really, it looks great. And would it be something to put in there that would be superior to what is there now? Well, absolutely. There, there's no argument with that. But at what expense? to the taxpayers because candidly i think space for minor league soccer stadium is a lot different than building a facility that's going to appeal to and attract an existing sports team like the bucks 
or like um, the Milwaukee Brewers? I guess time will tell, but right now the, the details are starting to come out, and they're, well, now now, yeah, we want to build it, but we're going to need a public subsidy. And I guess my question is, what exactly does that mean, and, and why didn't that come out in the first place? I mean, if it were me, and I was announcing I wanted to do some big project, I would have an idea before the announcement of what the financials were going to look like and how much public money I was going to need instead of saying, hey, we're going to build this, and then, oh, by the way, we need some bucks. You know, given all the, the very real, serious issues that, that are out there, whether it's crime or the economy or whatever, I, I almost hate to even bring this up because this is, to me, this is one of these things that's that sound and fury but signifies nothing. But I do have a question. The okay, this is this is Pride Month, right? June is Pride Month, and that, that's great. And and Tony Evers is taking great pleasure. In announcing that, you know, he, he's, he's proudly flying an LGBTQ flag over, over the Capitol. And he's cautioning, well, if the Republicans get in this, this might not, not happen. And I, I, look, I, I, I really don't care one way or the other about this issue, except I honestly do not understand. For, forget, forget the LGBTQ flag. All right. I, I, but, cause if, if you're going to fly, flags over the Capitol that are something different than the American flag and the state of Wisconsin flag. I don't have any problem flying that flag. But more fundamentally, why are we flying all these different flags? Why are we flying flags besides the state flag, the um, American, the the United States flag, and and maybe um, for veterans, maybe like the the POW MIA flag? But beyond those three, why are we having this politically charged conversation because there's some people who just love that there's some people who hate it but why are we flying alternate flags why don't we just have one simple rule that you know there's, there's you, you can fly you know individuals can fly flags wherever they want to fly but over the state capitol wouldn't it just be simpler and avoid a lot of these conflicts if we just said all right we're, we're flying the american flag we're flying the state flag we'll fly the pow mia flag but other than that we're, we're not going to fly different flags every week this is just what the rule is and then you don't have people fighting about well gee i want this flag up there or i don't think that flag should be up there what's wrong with just those those three flags and then moving on live from the annex wealth management studios this is the jeff wagner show and now wtmj's jeff wagner good afternoon wisconsin welcome back to the program yes we are causing all sorts of trouble today if you follow me on twitter it's at jeff wagner 620 i just sent out a, a tweet with kind of a link to a couple stories and and revisiting the, the the comments that I just made a couple minutes ago. I I recognize it's not the biggest issue of the day, and I I know June is is Pride Month, and that that that's all well and good. And Tony Evers is of course posing for holy pictures, saying, "Hey, I'm the governor. I'm I'm flying the the Pride flag, the LGBTQ Pride flag. I'm flying it over the Capitol, and if the Republicans get elected, they might not." And I I guess I, to me, if you're going to fly lots of flags. I, I don't have a problem, I guess, with including the LGBTQ one. For, forget, I guess, I, I don't have a problem with that. But I, I do raise this question. Why Why are we flying any flags at the Capitol other than the U.S. flag, the Wisconsin flag, and perhaps the POW MIA flag at the Capitol? I, to me, 
by by flying all sorts of different flags you ju- at over the capitol you just invite all this this controversy it seems to me it is extremely divisive because you know one group objects to this being flown another group objects to that being flown why don't they just just say okay we're we're this is the state capital, and we're going to, you know, we're going to recognize that we are, we're going to fly the state flag, we're going to fly the United States flag, and again, I would make a strong argument for the POW MIA one, but beyond that, I mean, do you, do you need to fly all, do you need to invite the controversy, for, forget Forget the pride flag, okay? The, the controversy that you're always going to embody when you pick different groups and say, okay, we're, we're going to fly this flag, we're going to fly that flag, but we're not going to fly this one, we're not going to fly that one. Wouldn't it be just simpler to say, hey, it's the state capital, we're flying the state flag, we're flying the American flag, and we'll fly the POWMIA one? Uh, that's, that is just me. All right, don't know if you missed the announcement or not. Originally, Festa Italiano, which... It was always my sense that this was the largest ethnic festival at the lakefront. That was always my sense. If it wasn't that, it was close to Irish Fest. And Fest Italiana has been a, a staple at on the Summerfest grounds at, at the lakefront for years and years and years. It was canceled in 2020 and 2021 because of the pandemic. And Festa organizers announced month or two ago that they would that that festa in 2022 was going to be called off it was not going to be held at least that's what i understood it to be but as it turns out what apparently they've decided is it's not going to be held on the Summerfest grounds instead they are going to stage it over just a two-day period september 24th and the 25th so it, it's not going to be at its traditional time in july and it's going to be you know, held at on the grounds of the Italian Community Center, which are uh, East Chicago Street, Third Ward, right across the street, essentially, from Summerfest. But it's going to be a substantially scaled-down e- event. But they say, hey, you know, we're, we're going to have vendors, we're going to have some music, we're going to have things like that, but it's going to be substantially scaled down. One of the things I didn't realize is that um, 2019 – which was the the year the year before pan, the pandemic hit. So this is bef- before COVID. Um, the Italian Community Center, apparently the the ICC, which runs Festa, said that they had lost more than two hundred thousand dollars on Festa Italiana that year. So this was this was before the pandemic hit in they, they had lost two hundred thousand dollars and it it costs a ton to put on these different festivals i think some people you know don't understand the costs that that go into this and of course any festival that you stage is very very what's the number one concern well it, it it's weather dependent that there's all sorts of factors of the quality of the entertainment that goes into it you know what's going on in the economy but you, you get a couple days of bad weather and it's just it's just a killer. You get really hot weather. All right, people don't come out, or if they come out, you know, they—I know it sounds strange, but they don't buy beer and stuff like that. You get really cold weather, same sort of thing. You get lots of rain. So the, these festivals, whether it's state fair or summer fest or these ethnic festivals, really, really, really weather dependent. And I don't, off the top of my head, remember what the weather was like for Festa Italiana in 2019. But regardless, they lost a few hundred thousand dollars. So. I think I'm not sure that they would have been back 
at the Summerfest grounds this year anyways because it, it's it's a struggle. Right now, Irish Fest, German Fest, and a number of the other festivals are still being held on the Summerfest grounds, and, and that's why we, we've always been like the city of festivals. But this this is an interesting step. Now, Festa isn't going to be you know the Festa that people were used to, but still, it, it's going to be, sounds to me like, closer to, I don't know, closer to like a, a glorified sort of church festival or, or something like that. I don't say that. Um, in, in a bad sort of way. They are significantly downsizing this. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this the start of something? Are we seeing the end of the ethnic festivals as we have known them over the course of the last several decades? Like I say the folks at Festa say, hey, it costs a lot of money to put this stuff on. And, you know, we, we can't afford to lose a few hundred thousand dollars. And then you've got all the issues with volunteers and you've got the economy and all this. So we're going to do it, but we're going to do it on a much lower scale at a much lower cost. Is this the wave of the future? Five years from now, are we going to have these festivals? Is Festa, is, is a Festa going to be back at the lakefront or are some of the other festivals like the German Fest and things like that? Are they going to be finding alternative locations where you can stage a reduced edition of yourself and, and do it for presumably a lot less money? 855-616-1620. Is this the wave of the future? We discuss in just a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're just tuning in, Festa Italiano, which has been a fixture on the Milwaukee lakefront for, well, more years than, than I can remember. And my sense was Festa, again, if it wasn't, if it wasn't bigger than Irish Fest, it was almost as big as Irish Fest. Those were always the two dominant ethnic festivals, taking nothing away from German Fest or things like that, or Polish Fest or, or, or whatever. But those were always, it seemed to me, the, the two best attended ones. Festa, of course, was, was called off for two years during the pandemic last year and the year before that. But as it turns out, in, in 2019, which was the year before the pandemic, it, they, they lost about $200,000 putting it on. And I don't I don't remember the weather. So and a lot of it is, of course, these things are weather dependent. But this year, they, they simply decided, well, we want to have a Festa Italiana, but we can't do it at the lakefront. It just we don't we can't take that economic risk. We don't know what attendance is going to be like. So what we're going to do is stage a much smaller scaled down version on September 24th and September 25th instead of their traditional, you know, um, uh, July dates. And they're going to do it on the grounds of the Italian Community Center, which are across from the Summerfest grounds, and I assume that they own that and they can stage it for a lot less. My question is, is this the wave of the future, and is this what we're going to see? And um, my my answer is, yeah, I, I think, and I'm not hoping for this, but I think this is more and more the future. Um, one of our texters says, yeah, unfortunately, I think this is the case. You know, they rely on, on volunteers. Volunteers are hard to come by. Yeah, and it costs a lot of money, and there is a lot of risk that is involved with this. And I, I think that you're going to see, I, I think, and I, I'm not hoping for this, I'm not wishing for this, but I think that the days of maybe the, these big ethnic festivals 
I think they might be coming to an end. And that's very, very unfortunate for those of us who grew up around them and enjoyed them. In many respects, it's kind of like maybe what we're seeing is something like what happened to the circus parade. And if you grew up around here, you know what I'm talking about. The the, the circus parade used to be a, a really big deal for about, you know, and it, it was here, it seemed to me, year after year. I remember at the time I was working in the old federal building, 517 East Wisconsin Avenue, and, and you would have you would have people, if the circus parade was going to be on a Sunday, you would have people that would come down on like a, the Monday or Tuesday beforehand, and they'd chain lawn chairs to parking meters or street signs or things like that. And, and then, you know, you'd have people standing two or three deep waiting for the circus parade. And then you'd have the circus parade on Sunday, and it would be packed. And then over the years, all right, it was less packed, and it was less packed. And then, you know, there, there weren't that many people coming anymore because it, it kind of got old. It was sort of like the same thing every year, not knocking the circus parade. And pretty soon, organizers just stopped. It, it kind of faded away. And there was a period of time when the circus parade was hot that you thought that this was going to be an institution. I seriously wonder whether, um, you know, whether or not this is going to be the, the ongoing thing. It, you know, if attendance is down, you've got the risks that you experience when you try to stage a big-time festival on the Summerfest grounds where you got to put up all this money. Somebody says, not sure how they can hold uh, Italian Fest, Fest Italian at the ICC. It's too small. No, it's. It, I think what you're going to see is something much closer to what I'm describing is a church festival than something like you're used to on the Summerfest grounds. But you can stage it in a smaller venue. Obviously, the costs are a lot less. The risks that you take are a lot less. But I, I, I would not be surprised if this is the wave of the future. And I'm not predicting that German Fest or Irish Fest are going to pull out or things like that. But th- the message is, for everybody who just assumes that these events that just because they, they've occurred for years and years, that means that they're going to continue to occur for years and years. I, I think you're, you're being extremely naive. That's why I always caution people to you know really appreciate the value of Summerfest. And, and I understand Summerfest, you know, some years attendance is up. You know, lately attendance has been down, but there's a variety of factors that go into that. But you've still got these costs. That's why Summerfest is experimenting with different concepts. Like instead of having an 11-day or 12-day festival over 11 days or whatever that would be, now they're trying, you know, three weekends, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, starting from late June through um, early July. We're, we're going to be broadcasting down from there as we always are. I just got the schedule for that. And it, it's always an exciting time. But there, I think the folks at Summerfest are recognizing that you've got to change with the times. And there's a lot of us dinosaurs, and I'll include me in that category, who say, gee, I, I, I liked it when it started on Thursday and it ran, you know, through the next Sunday. But I think a lot of the organizers, for example, at Summerfest look and say, well, that, that's, that's nice that you like it, but our Monday attendance was awful and our Tuesday attendance was awful and the Wednesday attendance was better than Monday or Tuesday, but it still wasn't great. And the Sunday attendance wasn't great. And when the 4th of July fell on a Sunday or a Monday or a Tuesday, attendance was almost non-existent. I'm exaggerating, but just, but just barely. So what they're looking at is, is different things that they can do to continue to make them viable. So for everybody out there who wants to 
complain, well, you know, they're, they're doing Summerfest on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I don't, I don't like that that much. They're trying to keep this viable. They're trying to find the business model, because it is, it is a business. They're trying to find the business model that works as, as we move forward. And they're trying to find that, that balance between, yeah, you know, we, we, we know people like it. We know people like to come down on, on Sunday afternoons, but not that many people would come down on Sunday afternoons. So that's, that's kind of the balance. And if you don't think the folks at Summerfest, if you think they're just kind of like doing this because, they felt like it. Well, I mean, look at what happened to Festa. Festa's recognizing that the model that they used for years isn't working right now. It doesn't mean it's not always going to work, but I, I think it is more likely that you're going to see some of the other ethnic festivals um, probably pulling back, uh, especially if there's not a huge resurgence, say, this year. And I don't know that that's going to happen because – you know, costs are skyrocketing. Like I was saying earlier, I, I know there's a lot of businesses who whose sales are off, and they attribute it to high gas prices. That's what they say. They say people aren't driving as much. People aren't spending as much on discretionary items because they pull up at the gas pump, and it used to cost them $30 to fill up their tank, and now it's costing them 50 bucks, and that's just less money to do other stuff, particularly less money to do discretionary things. So this is going on with Festa. I, I don't know what the future is, but my guess is you're going to see more of this instead of less and tying it into Summerfest. Like I say, for everybody who wants to complain about Summerfest changing the dates and doing it over weekends, there there is a method to what you might perceive as madness. And that method is to try to keep the festivals viable. Back with more in just a minute. <laughs> Hey, we're hearing election ads for, of course, the primary election coming up in early August, and there's going to be a number of decisions. Uh, people voting in the Democratic primary are going to have to decide who of the four candidates that are running are going to be the one that challenges Ron Johnson. And, of course, there's several Republicans running to challenge Tony Evers. So you've got all that going on. Um, but for people who might be tired of the political advertising already, I've got some bad news for you because I think that the partisan races, I think you're pretty much going to hear a, a lot of advertising, probably even more than you're getting on now, if that is possible, between now and November. And then then after that, um, if you think, boy, I can take a deep breath, ain't going to happen because next year, next April, there is going to be a very hotly contested state Supreme Court race because um, Patience Rogensack, um, who is she's she's retiring she, right now. It's a four three conservative liberal split. I know that there's some people who say that the one of the justices is that conservative, but it's it's basically a four three conservative liberal split. Uh, Justice Rogensack is one of the four conservatives. She's 82. She's retiring. And so there is going to be a, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, Donnybrook as to who is going to replace that, because this is one where theoretically um, the intellectual control of the court is is an issue. I mean, sometimes it, it doesn't really matter because like the U.S. Supreme Court right now, you've got six conservatives, you've got three liberals. So if if one of the conservatives, for example, would resign and Joe Biden fills the space, there's still going to be that, that conservative dominance. That This is not the case. And you already have a couple of the what I would describe as sort of uh, uber left wing candidates who've already announced they're running 
don't know who's going to run from the conservative side, but I guarantee you pretty much about two days after the November election, be prepared for state Supreme Court ads. In other words, it never ends. I know Bill Barr. I know he was he was the the last attorney general I worked for. He was the attorney general, the last attorney general under first President Bush. And I worked in the U.S. Attorney's Office. And I had a, I went to Washington, got a chance to meet him a couple times. I got my picture with him. You know the thing that I never understood about the last few years? No. Why he came? Why he left a lucrative private law practice to get involved? in the Trump administration that you knew, you just knew it wasn't going to end well. You know, matter, I, I, I think Bill Barr is a really good guy. I had a lot of respect for him and stuff. But why he why he jumped into that, I just, I, I would love to sit down and say, okay, off the record, what were you thinking? I mean, how did you think this was going to turn out? Didn't he write a book? Yeah, yeah, he, he wrote a book. He didn't really answer that question, but he kind of, yeah, he, he wrote a book which was, I, you know, but it's, it's kind of like we, we were talking off there. We don't understand why you know, sometimes some people get involved in politics and stuff like that. I just I, I never understood because love President Trump or hate President Trump. It, it's he operated on a, on a chaos theory. And you you saw what happened with cabinet secretaries coming and going and people were in his favor and then they quickly fell out. And you knew after what happened with the first attorney general, the former senator from um uh, South was it South Carolina? I'm drawing a blank. But his first attorney general, you, Alabama, Jeff Sessions. You knew after what happened to him, you knew that that was that was just a position that was just it was going to be a lightning rod for all sorts of issues. Well, didn't the Trump administration have the highest turnover? Oh, sure. Of cabinet members and and even just staffers. Well, sure. I think I, ever. Yeah, and I mean, it just I just I never understood, you know, because because Bill Barr. Had a had a really nice life, and he was comfortable and making a lot of money and and things like that. And and he's no spring chicken. I mean, you know, he, he, it was just kind of like an understanding again, love him or, or hate him. The the kind of chaos theory that that President Trump embraced. It was like I never understood why why you'd get involved in the why you'd get in the middle of that because. This 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 type of thing struck me as being inevitable. Maybe not the January sixth hearings, but it's like, God, why did you get involved in that? Among the great unanswered questions of life, Jeff. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, look for me on a golf course, you know, at a tiki bar. That's it. Hey, speaking of uh, President Trump, I've got a topic related to that coming up. We are going where angels fear to tread. I figure I've irritated almost everybody over the course of the last two and a half hours. What's what's one more group? Stick around. You know, it, it's funny how you, you do, in fact, get spoiled. Okay, so the, the last, the, the, the Brewers win, you know, sweep a doubleheader on Monday, and then they, they've lost two one-run games to the Chicago Cubs. And it's, I think, I, I remember I was kind of, I was sort of grumbling. I was listening to the game last night, and they, you know, they, they lose a one-run game, and they, some poor defense. They, they do need to kind of tighten that, and some kind of a lack of clutch hitting and stuff. It was a winnable game, but they, they lost it, and that, that's okay. And, but I'm frustrated. Oh, they, they've just dropped two games in a row to the Chicago Cubs. But it is, it is all about perspective. The, the Brewers, are just coming back. Tonight, they're, they play at home at American Family Field against um, San Diego. But they, they went on an 
uh, what was it, um, 10 days, 11 game road trip. And they played San Diego in San Diego. And San Diego is one of the best teams in the National League. They played St. Louis, and St. Louis are their arch rivals. And then they, they came back to play Chicago. At the start of that 11-game road trip, if you would have said, as a matter of fact, I, I was afraid that they were going to go into the tank. I was thinking, gosh, if they if they can win four games, you know, that, that and also, I mean, they're, they're just getting slaughtered with injuries. Peralta's gone for a length of time. Uh, Brandon Woodruff is on the injured, or I don't know if he's on the injured list or not, but he's going to miss a start or two. Adamas has been out. Uh, Renfro has been out. You're, you're looking at all this and you're thinking, my, my goodness, at the start of this, I was thinking, you know, maybe out of 11 games, you know, four games, five games. And the, the truth is that they, they, they went six and five. They won more than they lost. I think if you would have said to anybody, hey, before this road trip, it, you, you take a six at the five, six wins, you win more than you lose, and you come back to Miller Park, to American Family Field, I think pretty much everybody would have taken it. So I, I was a little bit frustrated when they've lost a couple games, but under the circumstances, they're still, um, let's see, 32 and 20, which is the third best record in the National League. They're still, you know, two games ahead of St. Louis. And here's the, the kind of interesting thing. They've played 20 games at home. They've played 32 games on the road. So they, they've had this, the schedule, at least as far as the home and away split, they, they've, they've played 12 more games on, on, at home, on the road. And so they're, they're going to, that's going to catch up at, at some point in time. So I think it was frustrating. You sit there and say, how can you lose two in a row to the Chicago Cubs? But at the same time, big picture, long season. The Brewers 12 games over 500. And again, they're, they're coming home for a lengthy homestand. So hopefully, you know, that's, you, you've got to kind of look at the glasses half full. Hopefully Willie Adamas is going to be back. Hopefully Hunter Renfro is going to be back. Hopefully Brandon Woodruff's not going to miss too many starts and you can kind of get back to where they're going. Oh yeah, Josh Hader was gone for, um, a, a medical uh, crisis with his wife for a couple of days too. Now I think, you know, six and five, you, you take that and you move on and you will be able to hear the first of four games against the San Diego Padres on WTMJ tonight. All right. Let's go where angels fear to tread. The Arkansas governor, his name is Aza Hutchinson. He's a Republican. He's term limited, so he, he's got a, he can't run for re-election. He is one of the candidates who is considering running for the Republican nomination for president in 2024. There are a number of others that are out there. Former Vice President Mike Pence is definitely, I think, seriously considering um, running. Governor DeSantis in Florida, I think, is seriously considering running. And, and those are just the, the three that come to mind. I think there might be some other people that jump in the race as well. Nikki Haley would be another one. And, and, and who knows how many other people might jump in. Now, you notice that there was one name that I left off that list. And it is, of course, the elephant in the room. And that's that is former President Donald Trump, who has certainly tried to be a player and an influencer in the 2022 elections. He's gone around and endorsed candidates. Some of his endorsed candidates have won. Several have have lost. There's some question as to whether or not the Trump endorsement makes the difference or whether or not President Trump 
former President Trump might be looking for candidates that he thinks his MAGA crowd already supports and then endorsing him. I, I don't know. Uh, but again, it's, it's kind of been a mixed bag as far as endorsements go. But um, Asa Hutchinson, who's the Arkansas governor, he's um, gave a really inter- interesting interview. He says the next presidential campaign will define the future of our party, and we are going to be in a state of flux until then. He then goes on to say, there's a significant amount of our base that is happy with an off-ramp from the Trump train. Let me translate. He is saying it is important for Republicans moving forward, if they are going to have electoral success, to move past Donald Trump, at least to move past the individual that is Donald Trump. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We've only got a couple minutes, but I, I, I'm curious because he's coming out and saying something that I think many people might be thinking. Is it time to move past Donald Trump, the individual, and start looking to the future, a future without Donald Trump as the candidate? 855-616-1620. Put another way. You want to see Donald Trump run for president again in 2024, or is it time to move on? Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, the uh, outgoing governor of Arkansas, who's considering running for president in 2024, says it's time for the Republican Party to move on, move past Donald Trump as they move forward. All right. Now, he's not talking about moving past the the Trump policies necessarily, but he's saying, okay, Donald Trump is an individual. Time to move on. Right or wrong? 855-616-1620. Mark in Central Florida. Mark on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hi, Jeff, and thanks again for taking my phone call. Sure. Hey, where Uh, in Central Florida are you? Where, Where in Central Florida are you, Mark? Uh, Newport Ritchie, and I'm lucky enough to, um, my first house I've ever owned on the canals. Oh. Um, and I can, I can see the gulf from my front yard. Are you going to get hit by, so, uh, I, I see there's a big, it's not a hurricane, but it's a big rainfall that's heading. You're going to get hit with that this weekend? We get heavy rainfalls down here periodically, but where I, exactly where I live, there's kind of a little uh, jetty or butt on that part of the uh, western coast of florida where it kind of kicks okay a potential hurricane or a heavy storm out to sea ah so good okay i'm sorry i digress it, all right what do you think time to move on yeah. from donald trump um i do not think so um i think if you put his heavy rhetoric aside and the governor of arkansas aside um last i understand over 75 percent of the candidates that trump has endorsed in the last year or year and a half have won their primary or won their elections yes he's lost a couple of significant ones like coming out in georgia a couple of years ago um i look at every area of our economy compared to two and a half or three years ago and if donald trump doesn't run we have a problem because the country worked under donald trump foreign and domestic i would like to see donald trump and it looks like there's rumblings that our governor down here in florida desantis is thinking about the presidency i would like to see trump run with desantis 
for the vice presidential slot. Okay. Just my thoughts. Good enough. Thanks for the call, Mark. I, I guess um, let me share a couple of emails here. And I, I, I understand what you're saying about Trump policies. At the same time, I have to tell you honestly, I, I think President Trump as as an individual has become toxic. And that's the the the, the January 6th stuff the refusal to accept the results of the 2020 election i think that's been so off-putting to so many people who would have who, who voted for him once or maybe voted for him twice that i i think a trump candidacy would be potentially disastrous and i i did make that distinction i distinguish between that and the trump policies here's a couple texts jeff i consider myself to be middle of the road politically i tend to vote democrat but i'm beginning to think it might be time to find a republican i can get behind because i think the country needs drastic change but i will never vote for trump jeff no more trump you summed it up correct when you said that he is toxic well i don't know um jeff um I don't know if I want Trump to run in 20, 2024, but I wish we had him in now, there now. And, and I, I understand that. And that's why I think it's important to, dis, to distinguish between the Trump policies. Can, can you argue that, you know, things were not anywhere near as chaotic in, under the Trump administration as under the Biden administration? No, you, you can't. But, but. Jeff, I consider myself to be more of a conservative Democrat. I vote for that person who best aligns with my beliefs. I have no problem in crossing party lines when I vote. I really felt Trump was terrible for our country. I would never vote for him. I would like the Republican Party to back someone else. Jeff, I voted for Trump twice. I I think, though, it is time for the party to move on. Jeff, I think we have to move on for Trump. Um, We need a decent, preferably a little younger candidate. Well, don't get me started you know, on on that whole thing. Jeff, I'm conservative, and I voted for Trump in 2020. However, if he decides to run for president in 2024, I feel it will only hurt the Republican Party because he is such a controversial um, person. Jeff, you say that some Trump-backed candidates won and some lost. Convey the whole message. Say exactly how many won, just to be 100% transparent. I don't know what the point of that is. And keep in mind, many of the the Trump-backed candidates were were the, the mainstream candidates. They were the incumbents who really weren't in danger. So what what I want to focus on is the ones where you really have the contested races. That the Trump endorsement in Pennsylvania for for Doctor Oz, which I think probably did. It's very very close, but it probably did help sway some votes. The next real challenge for the Trump endorsement is going to be in August in Wyoming, where he's pretty much all in on trying to defeat Lynch, Liz Cheney in a Republican primary, and he may that they very may very well do that, but. That doesn't mean that, you know, maybe it's time for the Republican Party, while keeping some of the Trump policies, to move on from Donald Trump.